Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. And this is uh, the second three-person audio. Sorry, my dog just uh, topped down here and distracted me. Hi, Andy. It's a four-person audio now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the second episode that we're doing with all three of us on the podcast. It's cool of us to be able to all come together. I think it's our third three-person audio. Technically, yeah. What was the other one we did? We did the draft? Yeah. Wait, no, maybe I'm mistaking it. Yeah, okay. It's our second. <laughs> we got a really cool episode today, and the movie we're doing is Laputa Castle in the Sky, or Western audiences might know this as Just Castle in the Sky from 1986. It's a Studio Ghibli film. Oh, wait, this is our third one, because we did... <laughs> We did the draft episode, then we oh, did the yeah! year-end episode, and the now here we are. Episode. Right, all right. right. All right ah, not crazy. All right, and I have one other thing to say before we actually talk about this uh, movie. Jason, you and I did Death Trap together, and we both really loved it. And if you haven't heard that episode yet, or have not even heard of that movie, you should go check it out and check our previous episodes out. And I liked it so much that I bought the Blu-ray of it. Oh, that's hey. awesome. <laughs> Blake yeah. is holding up a Blu-ray of Death Trap, and he looks very proud of himself. I am very proud of myself because it's sadly one of our least listened to episodes, even though it's like one of the coolest, like most underrated films that we've done this podcast. And so I was kind of like thinking to myself last week, I was like, if I don't buy this and just give this away to people to watch, nobody's going to freaking watch this movie. And that's a shame. So, yeah, it was, it's hard to find as well, so that's a good move. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Mike's going to be the ver- first victim of my Blu-ray. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, we should probably circle back to this week's actual movie, Castle in the Sky. And uh, Jason, do you want to start with the plot? Yeah, sounds good. So Castle in the Sky is a classic masterpiece of an anime film directed by Hayao Miyazaki of Studio Ghibli, and we're following the thrilling journey of Shida and Pazu as they set out to discover the secrets of the mythical floating castle, Laputa. Along the way, they encounter both allies and enemies, including pirates and government agents, who are also in search of Laputa. With a mix of action, humor, and heartwarming moments, Castle in the Sky is an exciting tale of friendship, courage, and wonder. Hey, that was pretty good. It was great, and you know what the only thing that uh, I want to really expand on with that is? Is that this movie is like one of the coolest steampunk films I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, up there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, how how did they do it in 1986? I have no idea. Yeah, it's a really cool animation style. It's a pioneer in that regard, um, and we're going to talk about kind of how this fits into or where this fits into the Studio Ghibli filmography in that sense but there's some also really cool historical aspects and this film has a really interesting and exciting legacy that i'm i'm really excited about to talk about when we get into the second yeah, part of our and episode this was the second uh studio ghibli film or i believe like the first one when they were actually studio ghibli but the it's um the second that uh hayo miyazaki yeah yeah we'll we'll talk about all of that when we get into uh the sequels prequels and and remakes i think so let's talk characters and people you may know 
And because this is an animation, this is all voice work. There's some really cool voice work in here, especially if you're listening to the English dub. And to prime us for even the characters of people you may know discussion, I do have to kind of note that there's essentially three versions of this film floating around. That's right. So basically, we have the original 1986 Japanese version. Following that, in 1989, there's an English dub that's probably fairly difficult to find now because it was not highly regarded. The audio dub was kind of awkward, apparently. And then Disney actually redubbed this in 1998, I believe, and then was released in 2003. In this episode, I'm going to mostly focus on the English dub, just because in terms of people you may know, that's where you're going to know people from. But there is one interesting Japanese connection here to massive anime. So I'm going to bring up all of them as well quickly. Cool. Uh, I have a question, though. Uh, which version did we all watch? I watched the original. Fancy. I watched the English dub on oh. Netflix. I also watched the English dub on Netflix. That means a few things are going to be different that we'll be able to talk about probably. That's fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to talk about that. I've got that shelved for actually the sound and score. Sorry. I've actually got that set for the sound and score part of our podcast in part two. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the biggest difference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Pazu, is that how you say it right? Pazu. So, Pazu in the Japanese original is played by Mayumi Tanaka, who you, this is the Japanese person that you might actually have heard her voice before because she actually voices Monkey D. Lefty in One Piece, one of the biggest anime shows of all time. Really? Like currently? Currently, yeah. It's been on for like 20 some odd years, I believe. Yeah. She's been voicing the character for, I think, over 800 episodes now, which is wild. So would that be the main character of One Piece, for those who don't know? It is the main character of One Piece. Uh, Do you know that apparently Jamie Lee Curtis is a huge One Piece fan? I did not know that. Well, there you go. (laughs) Damn it. Jamie Lee Curtis just keeps getting cooler and cooler every time I hear about her. (laughs) Yeah, really. And so the English counterpart for Pazu is James Vanderbeek most notably from Dawson's Creek and the meme from Dawson's Creek with him crying. <laughs> oh, yeah. The blonde guy, right? <laughs> yeah, the blonde guy. I thought you might know that. Uh, he also was one of the stars of CSI Cyber. Never seen any of the CSI shows, so sorry if I offend anybody. Yeah, I don't know who this is. Shida is our next character, and Shida is played by Kyoko Yuz- Uh Maybe I should talk about Pazu, actually. I haven't talked about Pazu at all. So circling back to Pazu really quickly, uh, he's the hero of the story, I would say. Well, like the male lead. Yeah, he's the male lead. And he's the kind of happy-go-lucky. He almost reminded me of Mario, if if (laughs) anybody else kind of saw that as well. Uh, Maybe it's the overalls. He had a really tough head. Like a hard-headed guy. Yeah. He comes from this like, he comes from this like little industrial town he's uh, appears to be kind of an orphan living in his own home working in the mines very in this steampunk-esque world almost indestructible he can go through brick walls with no problem (laughs) (laughs) as we learned very quickly yeah yeah i was just gonna say he's very charming like he's happy-go-lucky imagine if luke skywalker was content on the moisture farm (laughs) 
<laughs> That's kind of how I felt with him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, funny enough that you bring up Star Wars, because I'm going to bring that up in probably about two minutes. Oh, dude, I just set you up. I was teeing you up. <laughs> you did. You were teeing me up. Uh, so our next character is Sheeta, who is the girl who falls from the sky at the beginning of the film out of the almost like blimp-like steampunk vehicle that we get in the opener we learn pretty quickly that she has a stone on her that potentially has almost magical powers like superior technological powers is what they call it in this world which is cool because it's not just like all magical but there's like that essence to it and they have like a strong belief in science throughout this world because they're so steampunk and like right. they've they've sorted out how to fly and everything with uh steam which is pretty insane yeah the whole setting of this world is something we should definitely touch on like I was reading about this movie and some people consider it post-apocalyptic, but then I think there's moments when like they confirm that it's like the 1830s or the 1890s yeah. or something. So it's a very interesting, almost conflicting setting. Like it's very anachronistic. Yeah, I believe the opener, it sets itself up as in like 1896 or, or somewhere in that time period. Yeah. It's it's like it's like the alternative industrial era essentially, mm -hmm. or alternative industrial revolution. Uh, so circling back to Sheeta, Sheeta is the one who's kind of on the run throughout the film. That Pazu is kind of helping out. She's being tracked by everyone. Like everybody is after her, and everybody is after her stone and and what she knows about the floating castle in the sky and the legend of the floating castle in the sky. Yeah, in the Japanese original, she's played by Kyoko Yokozawa. And in the English dub, she's actually voiced by Anna Paquin, uh, who you may know from X-Men, which is where I know her from. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, As yeah. Rogue. Rogue, right. Yeah, that's where she's most notable from. Uh, she's also in the show Flack, the starring role in that. It's a prime show. I haven't actually seen it or heard of it, but it's a pretty recent show. So if you've seen that, that's where uh, she comes from. And Sheeta actually has some, there's there's some flashbacks for Sheeta's character. And so there's some younger versions of her. And she's voiced in those flashbacks by Debbie Derry Berry, who actually voices Jimmy Neutron in the show Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> oh, I've seen what? her. I was, I was surprised Jimmy Neutron was voiced by a woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's their connection to Jimmy Neutron there. I wasn't expecting that. I was not expecting that. Yeah. Dola, the leader of the pirates, one of the coolest characters in the movie, one of my favorite characters in the movie anyway, mm -hmm. played by Koto Hatsu in the Japanese version. And in the dub, we have Cloris Leachman, who, if you see who she is, she actually just passed away in 2021 at the age of 94. So modern audiences kind of know her as like almost like a grandmotherly figure. And I recently watched her on the show American Gods, and we've actually talked about Cloris Leachman on this podcast as well, because she voiced Hogarth's teacher in The Iron Giant. Oh, no way. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So we have a cool connection there. We have two other characters to talk about, and they're kind of the other main people chasing after Sheeta. So there's Muska, who's kind of the secret agent. He's like the CIA operative in this movie, played by Minori Tarada and voiced in the English dub by Mark Hamill, who is Luke Skywalker. I really wanted 
to uh, like once I found out that there was an English dub that I didn't know about when I was watching, uh, and I saw that it was Mark Hamill, I was like, oh, that would, I bet that's so good. He actually received a lot of praise for his voice acting in this. I was watching this movie with my roommate the other night, and uh, halfway through the movie, I looked over at him and I said, you know who that is? That's Mark Hamill. And he was like, shut up. No, it isn't. And I pulled up my phone. I'm like, yep, there it is. How funny is it that Luke freaking Skywalker has this pitch perfect raspy villain's voice? Like, yeah, it's phenomenal. He really sells the character because in a sense, this character is almost like an archetype borderline, but he sells the characters in his voice and the emotion and the intensity of, of the character. Yeah. And the last character chasing after Sheeta is the general of the army played by Iricho Nagai. I'm going to apologize right now for all of the Japanese names that I've butchered at this point in time. Yeah, and get used to it. We're not going to start pronouncing them correctly anytime soon. Ichiro Nagai. There we go. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. (laughs) I I guess. I have no idea. But good for you. Voiced by Jim Cummings, who I hadn't heard of before but he's actually a major disney voice actor and if you've watched a disney movie in the last 20 to 30 years you've probably heard his voice yeah he's one of those iconic unsung heroes of voice acting very much agree very cool filmography if you want to go check that out and then there's two other voice actors that i want to mention here just for reasons uncle palm a character that we'll probably talk about in the spoiler part of the episode is played by Richard Dysart in the English dub, who plays Dr. Cooper, the physician, in The Thing. Wow, another throwback to our first episode. Fun. Our very first episode, which I'm sure if I listened to now, would sound super awkward. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think these have stopped being awkward, but (laughs) (laughs) I think we've toned it down a little. And the last person that I want to mention is Henry, one of Dola's children is voiced by none other than the walking piece of human garbage, Andy Dick. Yep. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Christopher Wong. Yeah, <laughs> not as fun. I heard that voice and I was like, that's not Andy Dick, is it? Like, <laughs> Man, you've got, a, you've got an ear for voices, eh? Surprisingly, yeah. For a guy who's not great with music. And then for director, we already mentioned this is a Heo Miyazaki film, very well known as the founder of Studio Ghibli. You know, he's made a ton of Studio Ghibli films, which, should we mention this, them here? We probably should mention them here. You know what, what? Why don't I ask you guys, what Studio Ghibli films have you seen prior to this one? Yeah, sure. So I've watched uh, Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away. I'm very glad we watched this one because I think it's so much better to, like, lead someone into Studio Ghibli films with this compared to the other two um especially spirited away it's a little much but this was perfect yeah and so what i'll say about that as well is because i'm coming from a similar background as you whereas i've seen spirit away spirited away and this is my second studio ghibli film spirited away is is very much in the japanese lore and history and culture of japan and so as a Western audience, if it's your first one, you're going to be a little confused about what's happening, maybe. Whereas this one, it's really original. It's a very original story. It's a very original world. And because of 
how important this film is to movie culture, there's a lot of films that come post this that credit this as an inspiration. And so as a Western audience, this film feels a little bit just more familiar than I would say, like Spirited Away. I would say that this is jumping ahead to my opinion a bit, but this movie almost to me felt like a classic Disney movie. Like it's a very simple premise. It's a very simple story. It's a very kind of pastoral, comforting locale. Like, yeah, this movie tracks really well with Western audiences. Yeah, yeah, I would very much agree. And at the same time, like there's so much implicit world building within the the background of this film and everything else that the more you want to pay attention the more you want to be rewarded by paying attention to what's happening the more you will be rewarded because i really fell in love with this world and wanting to live in in this world and spend time in this world yeah i also want to bring up that this was based on jonathan swift's gulliver's travels so that adds like that little bit of um familiarity i guess with more of a western audience so but they built off of those ideas in such a uh, compelling way right yes so who's this movie for and i guess the other parts of this that i always did you did you want to know what my history with ghibli was oh sorry (laughs) (laughs) jesus um actually this is my first ever studio ghibli movie Cool. Yeah. I've always been aware of them. Like, I've always kind of known what they are and, like, the signature art style and all that stuff. But this was my first actual Ghibli movie. And what's really interesting about that is I think out of the three of us, you've probably watched the most cartoons and or animes and potentially read the most comics. Probably, yeah. Now that I think about it, I didn't really watch anime as a kid or a teenager, but I went through a bit of a boom in my mid 20s. Uh, it didn't last very long, but yeah, I. You've watched a lot of the classics, though, like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, and stuff. Dragon Ball Z, Digimon. That's about it. And you watched like uh, like the Batman animated series and stuff like that as well, right? Yeah, also that. So. Which has the Mark Campbell connection is kind of what I'm getting at there. So <laughs> Yeah, it definitely does. So, yeah, probably out of the three of us, I'm the one who should be the most well-versed on Ghibli movies, but I'm not. And that's why you're the one, you're the only one saying Ghibli instead of Ghibli. <laughs> Ghibli? <laughs> I ha- I ha- he no. was saying Corleone uh, I was gonna bring that in up. The Godfather, <laughs> and I had to correct him in that, so... I said Corleone today to someone. We were talking about The Godfather, and I caught myself saying it again. So <laughs> We all have our, uh, our faults here for saying things wrong, unless you're Jason. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so who's this movie for, and does it hold up to a modern viewing in 2023? Pew. So where I want to start with this is who's this movie for, if, if you're at all intrigued by the idea of a steampunk film and a steampunk film done right, done very, very well, then this is for you. Even if you're not a huge fan of anime, there's a very cool aesthetic to this film. And the way I would describe this film, and it was kind of described like this online as well, is that it's essentially steampunk Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark for kids. Huh. 
That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good summary. While I think this film is probably targeted at the like 8 to 12 age group, and I felt that in the dialogue, especially in like the first 30 minutes. Yeah. Just with the adventure and the pace of the film, how things move, like I kind of got swept up in all of it by the end of it. Like I was really invested in what was happening and the characters and how their stories were going to end. They really draw you in with uh, the action right away and uh, like layering the story up as the intensity builds. I There was very few lulls in the film for me and I think like there's only a few points where like things were silent but it was like on purpose i love that yeah the movie just kind of it kind of moves at a breakneck pace not in an obnoxious way but um so that's what makes me think like yes it, it would be great for kids to watch this that 8 to 12 range because it draws them in and uh but it's also great for people who um might get bored with like something like spirited away or even like Disney princess movies, right? Because this this world is so unique and so fascinating that even if you're not a kid, you're going to be in awe of certain things. Like when we first lay eyes on the Puta, the castle in the sky, like the room was silent where we were watching it. And like we were both kind of in awe of the oh, yeah. majesty of it. That's a fucking castle in the sky, all right? Yeah, 100%. The only asterisks that I'll put to like the children eight to twelve thing is there's a lot of gun use in this film and potentially frightening sequences. You know, if you've got a kid who's really uncomfortable in those kind of films, uh, there's also a lot of talk of death. Then this might not be for you and your kids. But I know for me, as a kid, when I was eight years old, I was gifted the Indiana Jones box set, and Mike oh, and I dude. watched that together for my eighth birthday. <laughs> yeah, probably brings back some memories. Um, some terrible and... memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I when had the faces go... melted in Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> uh, I was definitely quite a shock. I had to call my mom and go home. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'll say is, though, like, you got to read the room, right? Like, uh, as a kid, I was ready for that, and Mike maybe wasn't as ready for that kind of thing, well, right? and maybe to speak in the movie's defense a little, like, there's not really an emphasis on combat. Like, if anything, the heroes are just running from danger the whole yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. I think, at, spoiler alert, but at one point, uh, Pazu gets, like, a grenade launcher. He never uses it on anyone. He just uses That's true. it to like break through obstacles. And worm his way through very small holes head first. <laughs> yeah, that kid has intense upper body strength. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing that I was thinking of in terms of comparisons for this film is if you're a kid of the 90s like us and you watched the movie Atlantis, then oh, yeah. A, there's some inspiration there that I think we're going to talk about later, and B you're going to probably really enjoy this film because it's it plays out very similarly it's there's there's so much dna between these two films that i would highly recommend it in that regard the other two kind of things that i wanted to mention that i was kind of thinking of in my peripherals while i was watching this and i was almost like when i first thought of this i was like am i stereotyping this but am i getting final fantasy vibes from this film do, 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 do. and i was trying to do I the was. okay Actually, I was getting those vibes because the Final Fantasy creators actually heavily based a lot of the steampunk and vehicles from that game series off of this film. That makes so much yeah. sense. 
What surprised me the most about viewing this movie was not the... Sometimes when you watch classics, you catch echoes of other things you like because it's just been copied or so clearly inspired other movies. What surprised me most about this movie was how many like senses of like video game deja vu I got. Like even Laputa, like the castle with all the vines and stuff. I was getting heavy like Dark Souls, Elden Ring yeah, vibes. Yeah. Even with like the the like the doors that disappear, all that stuff. Yeah. If you're not getting the feeling now, I think all three of us are on the same opinion that in terms of setting, this is one of the coolest settings that we've done on this podcast. That, like, I, I really can't emphasize that enough. Everything, even yeah, just like absolutely. the clouds in the intro and like, yeah, just clouds throughout, like they felt so mystical and everything. And then all of the, Ooh. like the, uh, the mine down like down deep in the mine you have this certain feeling they they just knocked it out of the park with this you know what other thing i just thought of now that probably drew a little bit of inspiration is jordan peele's film nope and the clouds and how the the clouds are used to hide things uh oh yeah that's a connection the last thing that i was thinking of when i was thinking about this was this film has like a a child almost like Brandon Sanderson level of world building to it that I really appreciate it. Interesting. Feels so deep and rich and like I want to know more from the world itself. I just want to like travel with them after or something like that. And because just the way the uh, like the characters and their motivations and everything, they fit into this like deeper world. And I want to see what else is going on. I've been talking to this girl and um, she we were talking about animation and stuff and she basically said that like to her heaven is a studio I'm gonna say it wrong a studio Ghibli movie oh you're actually like, saying it right if heaven exi- it is supposed to be Ghibli oh okay jeez yeah so for her heaven is a studio Ghibli movie and after watching this movie I was like yeah I kind of get it like I could that would be very if satisfying. I could trans- if I could transmit myself into a new world, I'd just be a miner somewhere. <laughs> Uncle Palm! <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd be that guy. I would say that if uh, you love synth music and like the like the 80s like beginning of synth music, the Japanese version is absolutely unreal and you guys missed out hard. Yes, we'll talk about that later. I I really appreciated the music of this film and, and the version that I watched because it almost had like a bit of a Reed's undertone to it. Like not quite Titanic, but there was a little bit of like the same kind of instrumentals mm. used in this. And I I really love when that's incorporated into a film and, and it fit the film extraordinarily well. Yeah, I'll, I'll say more about that later. But Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that in the spoiler section. Like I was saying, it's almost a cliche to say this, but this movie is almost for everyone yeah i feel like kids would really like it because you've got the child protagonist and then adults like we're adults and we're enjoying it because we're getting like sucked into like the aesthetic and the vibe and all that stuff Yeah, and the the world building as well yeah like Like, it has enough depth that adults mm -hmm. can watch it and it has enough like action and lighthearted and like enjoyable heartwarming adventure yeah when to watch i kind of like this as like a midweek movie i think you could also make an argument for like a sunday family gathering kind of movie 
with you've kids and adults and everyone together. I think it could fit well into a Saturday afternoon where you're like you're just hungover and chilling all day and <laughs> but you've already watched something else to, and you're like feeling a little bit better. This is what I want to watch. As an adult then. Yeah, very specifically. Yeah. Yes. Or or maybe you're hungover and you want to sit your kids down for two hours and let them be quiet and just let the movie pour over you. Could also be another good uh, experience. Who knows? We don't have kids. <laughs> no. But we do have hangouts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, do we. I don't know. I watched this movie on a Tuesday night with my roommate, and I definitely feel like it's a night movie because it is a blockbuster, and you want that blockbuster experience. Oh, it would have been amazing to watch this in theaters. I saw a few Oh yeah. Saw a few people online say like they like they saw just one image of this movie and they made their mom drive across like states to go see it in a theater. <laughs> and uh oh, it would have been unreal with like the full surround and big screen and everything. Yeah, if Studio Ghibli ever has a movie marathon in our area, I'll I'll pay attention to it. We'll go check it out. Do you know that in Japan Studio Ghibli has a museum and a theme park. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, they're like almost Disney level size at this oh, point. Oh, yeah. Like, Over there. I would compare them to Pixar. I think the theme park just opened in like November of 2022. Yeah. It's a big deal. Apparently, the museum has like um, never before seen like shorts too. Nice. Cool. <laughs> so, I guess we're going to Japan, boys. Yeah, I would love to go to Japan. One last thing for um, like when to watch, uh, or I guess who to watch, but uh, or who should watch. This is a great, great intro for Studio Ghibli overall. This I would think I would start off based on what I've seen and read. Either this for someone who's uh, like really unsure about Studio Ghibli, this would get them hooked. But um, if someone's a little more into uh, style of thing, Princess Mononoke would have been all like what from what I've seen is also like a great intro. Yeah, and what I'll say on that note too is like, just I finished this film and I kind of immediately wanted to go and watch another Studio Ghibli film. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I, I I'm pretty invested in the whole company at this point. <laughs> where to watch uh currently this is streaming on netflix and what's really cool about that is we've kind of hinted that there's different versions floating around you can actually watch two of the three main versions of this film the english dub and the original japanese with subtitles so i would highly recommend going and check it out on netflix right now um i don't know how long it'll be up for but check it out while it's on i'm so happy i didn't have to rent this off youtube like for <laughs> yeah. once i saved five dollars yeah this is a film that's uh it's been a while since we have looked at a more mainstream film but it was worth it yeah otherwise i think that's it for spoiler free discussion so if you haven't seen this movie and you want to go check it out like i said go look at it at netflix and then come back in a week and listen to the spoiler full discussion where we dive deep into this film and the making of it and our favorite plot points and quotes see you next week everybody Not even a good podcaster could ruin this episode. (laughs) That's from the last one. I don't know what you guys are talking about. (laughs) Take the movie, Mike. (laughs) Uh, That that was not from Death Trap. Nani?